Hello, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me on the Soma Mama podcast. This is Courtney here, your host, and we have a solo episode today, which I'm really excited about. And in true Courtney form, we don't necessarily have a plan for today's podcast. And that's something I'm really excited about. And before I get into what I don't have planned to talk about, I want to give a little context on why that feels exciting to me. So this is based by to every story, there's a backstory, um, how someone is arriving might look completely different behind closed doors or within their own body, their own mind's experience, you might be seeing or perceiving something totally different. And that is a little bit about what I will talk uh, about today. So a little teaser there. So I have spent most of my life doing, people-pleasing, perfecting everything I did, which led me to panic attacks, one, and emotional breakdowns, two. Um, come to find out, it wasn't until I was around 24 years old where I started to realize like this, this weight, this energy that I've been carrying has been anxiety. And I didn't know that there was a different way to exist within the world. Now, I do believe that my soul knew and that my subconscious knows, but I don't think that my conscious mind, um, allowed for awareness of that until my mid-twenties. So especially in my adolescent years and young adult years, I was doing, doing, doing all the things in school, all the extracurriculars. I was taking the maximum amount of classes and credits I could be taking. I was connecting with people, um, all the things. And I was doing all of this with not debilitating anxiety, but pretty tremendous masked anxiety. And this would show up especially in social settings. So I could do it and I could like socialize very well, come across as being very um, charismatic and connection oriented, which I absolutely am. Um, and if we're talking the continuum of introvert and extrovert, I am both for sure, as I do really enjoy connecting with people. And I see that as a fundamental part of the human experience. And in order to recharge, I need to be in my own space. I need to be in silence give or take, and more so, I need to rid of stimulants um, in the outside world that, and not just like substances, I think so many of us think of like drugs and substances as stimulants, but lights, sounds, motion, movement, like those are all things that took a toll and continue to take a toll in my nervous system, but previously I didn't have awareness of the fact that that is what was happening. Um, So for instance, now, especially after a long day, and I'm in a period of life um, as a mother and a partner working a full-time job in grad school, um, and I'm, my mental health is good, my physical health is good, I'm managing um, well, but I need to not function for more than 12 hours in a day. Like 
I, so I wake up around 7 a.m. naturally, and by 7.30 p.m., my body's like, yep, we're donezo. And if we think about it, that's a very natural, primal, intuitive cycle, right? Um, so given the season, there could be 12 or more um, hours of sunlight, and, you know, a, that lends us to a less than 12-hour sleep cycle if we're staying up um, that late. But I am someone who prefers to sleep 10 hours minimum. Um, that is what makes me feel charged. Some of you might be listening to this and be like, that is crazy. I sleep five hours and feel charged and know that there is no quote unquote normal. We all, just as we all eat different food and have different preferred ways of movement and exercise, we all require different amounts of sleep. And there actually are communities around the world. There's a community in, um, one of the Scandinavian countries that has this genetic SNP, um, which allows that, like, they cannot sleep more than five hours a night and they're at full capacity, energized, etc., um, which is really wild. So this does play a role in our gen genetic blueprint as well. Um, so anyway, I... Yes, okay, anxiety, overstimulation, sensitive nervous system, these are all things I've learned in my 20s. I'm learning the tools and the, the toolbox to um, utilize. So for example, at the end of a day, I will start to get grumpy, irritable. I'll notice that lights and TV and sound start to irritate me. And that is my cue um, before I say something that's not nice or that I don't mean to my partner or to my child. I take my butt to bed <laughs> um, and I give myself the grace in doing that. So this is all to say I am in the period of life right now where I, even though I know it's paradoxical and just may mean what I do have on my plate right now, I am consciously trying to do less. And no, that doesn't mean in my book right now, stripping away all the things that I currently have going. Um, but I do believe it takes for everyone coming into attunement with what is necessary and what is not in terms of um, their job, their financial income, what they need to live, especially in our Western societies, um, the extracurriculars that you're a part of, um, the extracurriculars that your children may be a part of, like where, what is necessary, what is not, where can I prune back? Um, as we are conditioned to take on more and more and more and more and more. And so often we don't give ourselves the time for integration or the space for reflection to really make an informed decision about what we want and what we don't want and what our capacity is and what our capacity is not. And I want you to know that this is ever changing and ever evolving. So your capacity that was once was 20 years ago may not be what it is now. And in five years from now, it might be more than what it is now. It ebbs and flows. <clears throat> so in the effort to do less, I am, I've explored my mental framework a lot. And that looks like re-patterning and reconditioning. And one of my biggest conditioned tendencies, as we say, so limiting beliefs, one of the ways in which I was informed 
um, as a child and into adolescence um, was that my doing was directly tied to my self-worth. So I literally could not be in a social setting due in part to social anxiety without cleaning, without prepping food, without like even playing with kids gave me, if there were any kids around, that would give me an out or some solace. And there's nothing wrong with that. I want to paint that picture. Um, But I was like, this is this like intimacy, friendship, like building connection, even though those are all things I stand by in previous Um, times in my life and I still notice it to this day in certain contexts I feel very um, overwhelmed in those environments and sometimes it does look like taking myself away from an environment with a lot of stimulation such as a party or an event and then bringing myself back in when I feel regulated and ready Um, so Yeah, doing less, um, giving time back to self, and feeling confident about giving time back to self. And I know this is a a narrative for most female-bodied people, female-identifying people in this world, and a lot of mothers. It's like, I am lucky if I get two minutes to myself in a day. I have children, I have, you know, partners, family members, etc. Um, friends asking for this, this, and that. If you're a business owner, that's a different type of uh, people asking things of you. And it can be a lot. And I want to, again, put in the, the reflection piece here where it's like, this is what's normal for us. And so the counterpoint, counter idea that I'm offering here is like, hey, what would space look like for reflection? And what would it look like to speak that, that need for space, that need for integration, that need for reflection? And I was listening to Alex L., who was on uh, Glennon Doyle's podcast, and Alex L. writes the book, How We Heal. It's wonderful. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, Glennon Doyle's podcast is also really awesome for for nuggets of, um, all sorts of nuggets of information and wisdom. Um, and I'll also link her podcast in my show notes. Uh, so she was saying, Alex L, that her, she's like, I know when my husband wakes up, he's just in the morning, uh, he's not ready to talk and engage. And I've learned this in partnership over time, instead of asking something of him or even asking how he is, how he slept, I will give him an hour and I will let him come to me when he's ready. And for many of you listening who might even have a toddler or a pet, Uh, you may be able to relate to that or a partner who requires silence in the morning. I can definitely resonate with that myself. Um, It's that like, okay, let me get into my own frequency state, Um, waking from sleep, like waking out of my REM cycle, getting into my everyday cycle like I need and for some people that looks like a different morning routine regime for some people it's five minutes for some people it's two hours so giving people that grace and what they need which is what I do want to talk about today and it's specifically around authentic connection and authentic relating and I'm going to tell you no I'm not a licensed psychologist um I have studied many different modalities and fields such as neuroscience psychology leadership, 
social work, uh, spirituality, yoga, yogic philosophy. So, so many different realms. Um, but I'm not an individual who like dockets all of the theories and I can remember all of the dates and all actuality. That's, that's just not who I am. I do remember nuggets. I do remember different theories and things that stuck out to me. Um, but I also in true vulnerability, when I look back at, um, so much of my perf like professional learning, my academia uh, experience interaction, it was in this, I almost want to say like tr trauma state. Um, and I say that with sensitivity as it wasn't like no major events really happened. There definitely were, I would say, medium to minor events, um, which, which kind of like set my nervous system off and dysregulated me physically, mentally, and emotionally. Um, but I was like jaded in the sense I felt like I was wearing these different glasses, um, rose colored lenses as we often refer to them as. And uh, truly it wasn't until I was about 24 years old where I took those off and I started to see the world in a different place. So my learning almost like as I've retained information, but it felt like it went, went through one ear out the other, or, uh, you know, like all of us know the kind of cram style of learning, which is not sustainable. And it's crazy that, um, that is one of the sole ways we study, especially as college and graduate students. Um, but it's like, okay, what do I need to know for this time period? Um, how, how can I achieve that? And then, you know, will it, or, likely will it might it escape my mind after that that test is done um <clears throat> so yeah remembering things just want to put that out there for those of you who are like yeah same I feel like I should remember more from my undergraduate degree or high school or even the book that you read last week uh we have a lot going on. There's a lot of things in this world that we can learn and remember. So give yourself grace here. Some people are innately just more skilled at remembering all those dates than others. So such as the history buffs of the world who can recall all the things. It, it astounds me. Uh, <clears throat> all right, let's get back to authentic connection. So authentic connection looks like showing up as your true self, willing and ready to connect with another in person showing up as their true self. So when I think about interaction, be it in a romantic relationship, friendship, professional relationship, I think so much about like, it being, it feeling transactional or it feeling very like very one way or one-sided. And what authentic connection does is invites in both parties, involved parties in a way where they both feel heard, seen, and considered, which are some of our fundamental needs as sentient, connected human beings. We want to feel seen, we want to be, feel heard, and we want to feel understood. So this might look like giving space for someone to reflect and share, especially in a harder conversation, and 
not interjecting, not um, inserting your opinion, not having a reaction. Um, you know that you are responsible for your own state of regulation, um, of response. So using your toolkit, especially if it is a hard conversation and you, and you likely are feeling that in your physical being. And then one skill that I like is rooted in um, nonviolent communication and it's reflecting back what you heard the person say. So saying things like what I heard you say said was or what I heard you how I heard you describe your feelings were and this provides an opportunity for clarity given that we all have different perceptions and beliefs. So one phrase I come back to and I'll ask myself is, Courtney, are you listening to <clears throat> respond or are you listening to receive? Because as we're taking in information that someone's telling us, we might also be devising a response, especially if it's charged, right? That fight, flight, or freeze, nervous system response tends to take over. And then we don't even know what they're saying anymore. Um, so practicing, trying that on, like what I heard you say was, because that really engages your active listening skills. And then oftentimes, too, in doing taking this approach, the person will naturally, that you, you think that it won't, the natural flow of conversation won't continue, but it does. And um, said individual say, yeah, yeah, I did say that. And, or they'll be like, no, I actually like, you know, there's opportunity for clarity here. I actually said this. And they'll continue. Um, <clears throat> so often I think, especially in harder conversations, <clears throat> we look for the space fillers. If we're not evoking an emotional reaction that's filling that space, we're like, uh, okay, what's appropriate to say? This feels really hard. I don't know what to do. Um, so often just going back to that, what I heard you say. And even before that, heading into a conversation, this is one of my favorite things and one something that I'm trying on myself, asking the individual what they need. So if they come to you with a again a conversation of any kind, uh, but perhaps something that feels challenging to talk about, you might first ask, "Hey, what do you need in this conversation? What do you? How how can I support you?" And that is so vital because sometimes, oftentimes. Um, what we give a person might not be exactly what they want. So they might be heading into a conversation wanting just silence. Um, but if that's not stated, then we don't know, right? Or they might want your adv advice and opinion or belief. And if so, like, let's say that before. Let's ask what we, what's, what we need so that the receiving end knows. Um, they might just want a hug at the end of the conversation and they don't want your two cents at all. Uh, and I think there's so much empowerment in stating just that, stating what we need, stating what we want, going into a conversation. Um, and then also, as I said, engaging with reciprocity. So using those tools rooted in nonviolent communication, what I heard you say was, I see, I sense, I feel, when you say that, I feel this way. Um, is a great way to communicate authentically. And referencing Glennon Doyle again, I was listening to one of her podcasts talking about like 
she referred to basically vulnerability in a box or like packaged vulnerability, which is like sharing something that hard or challenging that happened in your life that you've already worked through or dealt with, such as I had an eating disorder when I was 12 or like my parent was an alcoholic. Um, like you've done a lot of work there and so it doesn't feel as vulnerable to share. Which one thing that might feel vulnerable to share in that moment is like, actually, I'm really terrified to have this conversation. And those are often times the things that we don't say, um, which could be really powerful. And this, um, to speak, and this segues into Brene Brown's work, so I'll, I'll tag that in the show notes as well, so you can explore it on your own if you haven't already. She has a great TED Talk and podcasts and several books. She is a shame and compassion researcher. She is a doctor of social work. Um, so I'm going to leave it there for now. This, as this was totally a fluid conversation of just natural uh, thoughts coming to the surface, I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Just something to think about and consider today while you're listening to this on your walk or on your drive. I thank you so much for tuning in and I look forward to sharing another episode with you soon. Bye.